truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Indeed, this is the Steve Day Show, live and on demand here on Blaze Radio TV and podcast. 888-933-93 is the number here to the Blaze, 888-933-93. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can access that by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also like us on Facebook, who doesn't like us. We have apparently only added 500 likes in about nine years. So if you click that like button by that ratio, I think we did the math. If you click that like button approximately 54 times, it's actually 54.29. But if you, uh, we'll just go to round it down. If you click it 54 times, eventually we think Facebook may record one of those. All right. You can also uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Todd has the day off, but we will have a packed house here for the first hour with the Dace Group Roundtable in just a matter of moments. It'll be Feedback Friday coming up next hour as well. If you are looking for uh, an incredible vacation experience, though, I want to tell you about this really quick because this is this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If you're into traveling. Now, I'm not. I'm into being at places. I'm not into traveling there. Right, But I know a lot of you are uh, not as snobbish as I am as I continue to hold out for uh, transporter technology to be invented. Uh, you don't mind uh, the journey. I, I just really enjoy destinations. You like the journey. Well, if you like journeys, this one's for you. It's called the Cruise Through History. Uh, next spring, uh, Glenn Beck and several of the VIPs here at Blaze TV are taking a cruise through history to the Eastern Mediterranean, visiting Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, uh, Israel, Athens, and Greece. Uh, you're going to explore the roots of Western civilization. You're going to walk where Christ and the apostles walked as well. This is a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Families are welcome. Uh, you can bring your children and grandchildren and take part in this uh, amazing experience. Uh, so if you want to look at the roots of really where where were the notions of American exceptionalism birthed, uh, they're going to take it to the origins of such things. And you can learn more about this if you visit comesailaway.com. Uh, they've got uh, plenty of details there as well as different packages that you can take a look at. It's called comesailaway.com. And now it's time for the day screw. Your weekly look at the week that was brought to you by our friends at WaxRx who want to save you from one of those hassle uh, intense visits to the doctor to get uh, your ears treated uh, at any point in the near future, which might include a prescription, a copay, a long wait. Don't deal with any of that, but don't put it off any longer as well when you can do it yourself with WaxRx. You can use it without a prescription. It's a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes ear wax buildup, then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula, just like they do at the doctor's office, but without all the hassle, and now in the comfort and convenience of your own home. If you want to Try it risk-free today. Go to the website. UseWaxRx.com is the website. UseWaxRx.com. And at checkout, use offer code RADIO for free shipping at UseWaxRx.com. Our panelists this week, joining Aaron and I, 
Uh, Chris Pandolfo is a familiar face uh, if you uh, watch our show or any of our other uh, overtime programs. And then in the uh, bottom corner on the opposite side is uh, one of our chief mucky mucks uh, here at Blaze TV, Gaston Mooney, <laughs> who we are contractually obligated to put on this program every so often. Uh, it is so he can give opinions. Uh, some of you may refer to these things in other contexts as job reviews. All right, but we are we are we are calling these contributions, is what we call these uh, here at the Blaze. Uh, thank you for seeing. Thanks for joining us today, guys. How are you? I'm doing well, hey, Steve. How are you? All right, well then, let's get started. Let's get to issue one. It's our weekly look at the 2020 Democratic primary campaign trail. Bleep Democrats say. thing about babies for real you just kick them in the stomach and you aborted them yourself you just aborted the state of alabama with your rhetoric with this bill you just aborted the state of alabama yourself and all of you should be put in jail for this abortion that you just laid on the state of alabama i don't understand wolf how somebody makes that statement that every life is precious when these are the same people that are okay putting young kids in cages. Carl, that's the question. Are we living up to this moment in history? Well, by we, if you mean the press, I think, I think yes. Two weeks ago or so, we celebrated, um, or just it took a moment, I think, in our country to remember the Holocaust. And there's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell folks. When I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust, and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, the human dignity, um, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport, I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews. We need to have our transportation system run on electricity. I'm gonna make sure that happens. You know, I, I tell my sister uh, Rashida Tlaib that her and I have um, the strength to endure any of the mischaracterization or efforts to distort um, and, and vilify uh, and mischaracterize our, our message. Y'all know what we celebrate today? Mother's Day. And I am so thankful to have a mother like mine who supports me through all my craziness and loves on me and buys me chips and cookies. Um, these kind of attacks for what they are. Um, it is designed to uh, silence, sightline, um, and sort of almost eliminate um, public, public voice of Muslims. President Trump says that he doesn't want war with Iran, but that's exactly what he wants, because that's exactly what Saudi Arabia, Netanyahu, Al-Qaeda, Bolton, Haley, and other neocons and neolibs want. If we do not secure our democracy and ensure that every vote counts in 2020, we will be having a very different conversation, possibly in Russian, in 2030. Stacey Abrams, who is a real hero to me, the grace with which she met that defeat on an unfair, unlevel playing field with the Secretary of State uh, perhaps rigging in, in part uh, that election. And among the many, many sad chapters of Donald Trump is that he relishes in dividing us as a country. I bet he was happy today right. that he was able to say that the white players were here and the players of color weren't. That's the kind of division he fosters deliberately. If we do not act boldly and aggressively to transform our global energy system away from fossil fuel within the next few years, a very short period of time, there will be irreparable harm done to our planet. What I'm saying is the planet's on 
fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the f up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off. Are they likable enough? For heaven's sakes. That is such a sexist question. There it is, uh, again, with a complete, uh, with another stirring weekly rendition of the Soviet National Anthem. Your look at bleep Democrats say. So the first question this week, Chris, I'll start with you, Mr. Pandolfo. What was your favorite bit of cray-cray that Aaron regaled us with this week, and why? Oh, man. So did you guys even remember that the whole Rashida Tlaib Holocaust comments happened just on Monday? Was, I feel like watching that clip, so much stuff happened this week right. that... It, it, it's, it just boggles the mind. But I got to say, out of, of that montage, my favorite clip definitely is Hillary Clinton calling the likability question sexist, because of course she would call that sexist because nobody likes her and she needs an excuse. So, but guys, let's review this week. Okay. So we have the Democrats who are. Totally Chris, how can you be sexist if gender is fluid? Do you know? <laughs> you can't. It doesn't make sense. Okay, that's just, the I, point. I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to keep track of how this all works. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. This week we have Democrats you know, calling uh, for unlimited abortion on demand whenever, just freaking out because the state of Alabama and a couple handful of other states in this country have stood for life. We have one loser, Vito O'Rourke, on TV talking about his admiration for another loser, Stacey Abrams. These are both candidates that lost their respective election contest and are now thinking of catapulting off of those losses and running for president with them. Uh, we've gotten uh, people in the media saying that, you know, the whole country's divided. President Trump is evil. He wants war with Iran. He wants to, uh, he's racist because he wants the white players and the Red Sox, not the black players. This is all just nuts. It's all noise. And it, it, it's hard to see. It, you look at this country and you wonder why we are so divisive, why people are so angry that nothing gets done in Congress. It's because nobody's taking any of these issues seriously. Everybody's always on the campaign trail. And that's what I think is going on this week is everybody's campaigning for president. Everybody's campaigning for the next election. Nobody really cares about anything that matters. And the country suffers for it. You're right about that. And Chris, really, in your lifetime, it's bit, this is just we're reaching a new crescendo. But Bill Clinton was really the president that's kind of started the perpetual campaign. Uh, George W. Bush might have followed suit. We don't know. I mean, he had 9-11, so he had to actually, you know, try and govern at least for a while. Barack Obama gave you the perpetual campaign. In many respects, Donald Trump has done the perpetual campaign. That's why we still continue to talk more about Mueller and FISA warrant applications than actual issues. You know, we're just we're just seeing this thing take a, a new level of crescendo. But in your lifetime, with the exception of the, the, the period post 9-11, presidents have existed largely in a perpetual campaign environment, unfortunately. Um, what do you think, Gaston? What's your favorite cray-cray from Aaron's montage this week? Yeah, I, I just can't believe that it was all in one week. I mean, I... That you was, know, we say that every week, it, by the way. Overlo- <laughs> I know, I know, I know you guys do. I know you guys do. I just, it's still, it's, it, you know, and, and to me, I, when I see that stuff, I just want to be like, yes, let's put the microphone in their face more. Like, let's see what other dumb stuff they will say right. and just expose themselves. Um, I think one of my favorite ones, though, I was watching back this morning and some of the stuff, and y'all had one where it was uh, from the, you know... <clears throat> what happened while we were away and it was the gold coin and about praying for the president with the gold yes, coin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I love that one cause I did not realize that I had to pay $45 to pray for our country and our president. And I've, I've been apparently been doing it wrong. 
Um, yeah, it's called so, the, it's called the stupid <laughs> tax, Gaston. They 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 pass that actually on a daily basis. It just automatically renews. I didn't know if you knew that or not. So yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I try to pay all my taxes, but apparently I'm delinquent. So. <laughs> Must not be an idiot. All my taxes except the I pay all the dumb taxes, but I will not pay the stupid tax. All right. Yeah. Aaron, your your favorite uh, you know, uh, sample your own get high on your own supply. What do you think? Uh Bill Nye, the science guy, or whatever he is now, because what he, you just witnessed there is indicative of A descent of, into self parody. Yes, a descent into self parody, but also it's indicative of the way leftists respond on every single issue when they're not making enough progress um, fast enough as they prefer and that is to get more and more emotional i'm gonna say the f-bomb as many times as i possibly can because then maybe you'll take me seriously instead of you know actually focusing on the merit of the arguments and the arguments pros and cons and we witnessed that same thing um, at the very beginning of the montage as well with that uh, state senator from Alabama who just went on a tirade mm-hmm. saying this was this this anti-abortion bill this pro-life bill was an abortion of the state of Alabama We see this over and over again. Instead of actually having an argument, instead of actually having an argument, they just descend into, um, I'm going to take off all of my clothes to show the patriarchy. I'm going to start screaming and yelling and shouting my abortion instead of actually debating. And if anybody with half of a brain, uh, really, and and any politician, want to be politician, current politician, uh, specifically those on the right of center, um, if you really... If you really are ta- paying attention here, bone up on pretty much every issue because what we just saw and what we continue to see every day, and especially in these bleep Democrats say montages, is that they have no recourse. Unless we shoot ourselves in the foot, mm-hmm. they don't have any recourse. They don't have any retaliation except for screaming louder and saying more vile and wicked things. I mean, we guys, this week we had the death cult say, well, if you guys don't want abortions, then men shouldn't be allowed to leave their families high and dry. Traditional uh, family structures for the win. Deal. You got a deal. Right. Sold. Uh, then we then we had, uh, well, if it's a life, then it ought to have a right. Then you know what? Give the fetus the right to vote. So it is a life then. It's not a clump of cells. And then my favorite, the, my favorite dumb of the week is what you just said. Scorching hot chick decides to get naked for nothing for free uh, and show it all to guys in order to uh, strike out at the patriarchy. These feminists are the greatest, are the greatest patriarchs. Uh, they, they do all of the patriarchies, a dirty work for it every single time. Indeed. Exit question on a scale of one to 10 with one being as low as Lindsey Graham's T level and T at 10 being as intense as Ilan Omar's anti-Semitism. rank this week's level of crazy Aaron. I'm going to go with the 6.5, which is, I think, the highest that I've given it so far. It is. Far. Yeah, you that moved the needle for you a little bit. Chris? Yeah, seven. Uh, the abortion stuff just set the Democrats over the edge this week. Gaston? I'm going to go with an eight, and I feel like each week as the craziness continues, it just kind of maybe trends down as we start to normalize into the crazy. Yes, yeah, Spinal Tap is now dialing it down to two. Yes, that, that's what's happening. They went, up, they went up to 12.8, and they're like, you know what? We just got to dial it down a little bit now. Indeed. Uh, issue two, Iran and North Korea. Earlier this week, two Saudi oil tankers and two other vessels were attacked near the Strait of Hormuz. The U.S. claimed the attack was by Iran or Iran-backed proxies. In response, the Pentagon ordered a series of air-based first deterrence sorties against Iran and unveiled a possible plan to top national defense aides to deploy as many as 120,000 troops to the area. The U.S. also pulled most State Department personnel out of neighboring Iraq. 
Multiple stories circulated this week claiming Trump was at odds with his advisors about whether or not military intervention was the best plan. Compare this response with the seemingly great degree of warmth Trump gives North Korea and Kim Jong-un, and you're left scratching your head. Well, he is very talented. Anybody that takes over a situation like he did at 26 years of age and is able to run it and run it tough, I don't say he was nice or I don't say anything about it. He ran it. Very few people at that age, you can take one out of 10,000 probably could. How do you trust a killer like that? George, I'm given what I'm given, okay? I mean, this is what we have and this is where we are. And I can only tell you from my experience, and I met him, I've spoken with him and I've met him. And this was, as you know, started very early and it's been very intense. Uh, I think that he really wants to do a great job for North Korea. I think he wants to denuke. Really, he's got a great personality. He's a, you know, funny guy. He's a very smart guy. He's a great negotiator. So this question, I'm going to give you a disclaimer before I ask it, because this is my generational bias, maybe. But but I, I, I prefer um, my presidents to say, tear down this wall. The bombing begins in 15 minutes. You're an evil empire. We cannot peacefully coexist. Uh, the United States does not negotiate with terrorists. Um, I hear you. The whole world hears you. And and soon the people who tore, tore these tower downs will hear all of us too. All right. That, that's what I prefer. Okay. So that's, that's my perspective. So maybe there's a nuance here I don't understand. All right. So here's the question. How do you explain the Trump administration's saber rattling with Iran? While it plays footsie and please, please me with North Korea. Gaston, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's obviously there's two different geopolitical situations, you know, with China, Japan, and then the Middle East. And and I mean, I what I, I, I'll say, I am glad that there's this debate going on in the administration between Trump and his advisors on what to do with Iran. Um, and, you know, my personal opinion is, is you let the Israelis do what they want to. We support them. Let them deal with that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of, uh, of, of us necessarily having to, to, you know, put our sweat, blood and tears into, into that. And, um, I know it's a national security issue. And so I, I think, you know, you support your allies and you let them take, take that stuff out. So, but the reason why the, the difference between it, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, to be honest, I, I don't know. It was just two different situations and, and I don't have a good answer for you. Guess let me come back to you on Iran. Why then? Why why didn't we support uh, why haven't we supported formally the student uprisings uh, over the the, the ones that uh, social media wants to pretend aren't going on mm-hmm. unless they get uh, retweeted by third parties for example why didn't we sure. formally support those then if if it, you know why wait until a situation comes down to we have no other option but again to potentially have to invade another Muslim land that we that there has not been a time I'm 45 I, you're you and I are roughly this around the same age maybe you're, you're a little younger than me in our lifetimes has, it, has Iran not been an enemy of the United States I mean Chris and, and Aaron have never lived in a world where they it was not an enemy of the United States so instead of waiting until we have no alternative but a direct military confrontation why didn't we give and lend vocal public and and other forms of support to their own people's numerous uprisings against this regime the last couple of years? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it seems like it'd be cost-free in, in the context of, uh, of you know, of 
of just offering that type of support and undermining, you know, the existing regime there. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm not sure. I think that, um, you know, it goes back to, I, I will say like, you know, the, we have ratchet up some of the pressure with, you know, the, with the, the treaty making, you know, pulling back out of that treaty that mm-hmm. was, you know, so flawed. That was a good um, move. So, I mean, that's, yeah. th- those, there, there have been some good steps, but I mean, these other ones that are probably, you know, um, I won't say risk-free, but, you know, like maybe the low hanging fruit, um, you know, probably things that, um, we, we, we wish we had done. So Chris, let me take this to you with a, with a, a further redirect. These tyrannical regimes all communicate with each other. They all talk to each other. You know, there's been an informal alliance between Iran and North Korea for several years. They, Are you saying there's a group text, Steve? There's like a group text of these guys. Like probably. There. Yeah. I wonder what their DMs look like. Indeed. Like we know the one of the Ayatollahs, for example, the Supreme. I think we know the Supreme Khomeini. He lives on Twitter. I think we've seen that. We've seen yeah. Ahmadinejad literally comment on uh, the Michigan football coaching search a few years ago uh, when Harbaugh came in. But uh, Chris, they have to. They see this disconnect, right? I mean, they're talking to each other. And, and they're seeing that we are, you know, we're fetting, you know, the, the fiend in, in Pyongyang and saber rattling the folks in Tehran. Does, that, to me, that just kind of adds to the confusion here. But what do you think? Well, I think in general, our foreign policy is very confused, no matter where you look, whether it's uh, whether we're going to intervene in the Middle East or now there's talk of intervening in Venezuela. And then there's what we're doing with trade with China. The two situations really boil down to, I think, uh, the way that our government understands the relationship between uh, North Korea and our business partners with Japan and China and Iran, which is a very different situation. In North Korea, you know, we have business relations with China, which is the country that really controls everything that happens in North Korea. There's also a cult of personality in North Korea built around Kim Jong-un, right? Mm-hmm. He's worshipped as a god king there. So Trump is a businessman. And he looks at this situation and he has all these leaders and he's known from business who have relationships with China. And he says, I can make a personal relationship work here in North Korea that will change the direction of the regime, hopefully, and to a more peaceful situation. And he, he's trying to relate to that cult of personality on a personal level and use diplomacy like that. And I also think that he doesn't saber rattle with North Korea as much as he does with Iran uh, because he knows he has China behind the North Korean regime. And uh, it's a different situation, really, from saber rattling with Iran, who, if you look at Iran, there's no really big government backing Iran in the same way that China backs North Korea. They have relationships with the Russians. And they do have they talk to all these other regimes, but there's no one in the Middle East backing up Iran. Right. Uh, so you can saber rattle there and there's more to define policy and there's no cult of personality either. I, that's a uh, good who, point you're making. But if we're going to do a full fledged tr- uh, and for, that's a great distinction you just made. But is it somewhat canceled out by the fact, Chris, we're engaged now in a full-fledged trade war with China? If we're going to do that publicly, doesn't that then even more indicate then now is the time to get more aggressive with its satellite regimes at the same time then? Yeah, I think that would make sense. And, you know, it's not like the Trump administration has been hands off with the North Korean regime. We have passed more sanctions on the North Koreans. We've had passed more sanctions on the Iranians. It's really and there's this difference, too, between what Trump says and the things that come out of his mouth and the policies the United States government activates. Lots of the things that Trump says are much softer than what the government is actually doing behind the scenes and that the media doesn't focus on because that makes Trump look stronger. Right. Uh, we only hear about the bad stuff, in other words. And President Trump is very uh, 
forthcoming about saying things that make us feel nervous and then doing <laughs> things that kind of fly under the radar what that a mature, are actually good policy. That, you are not even yet married, young man. And that, that was a grandfatherly level of wisdom in that euphemism. That I'm, I'm very impressed with how you tiptoed around that tulip, Chris. Well done. Aaron, your thoughts? I think there are two ways to look at this, um, basically a, an optimistic and a pessimistic way. And I'll start with the pessimistic way. So like everything else then? Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, the pessimistic way to look at this is just by saying, um, I don't know of anybody in Iran who's saying nice things about President Trump. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, if, you know, if President Rouhani or uh, Ayatollah Khomeini said something nice then oh all of a sudden stayed no, at a we're trump not, hotel last not, night yeah, had a great stay we're not going yes yeah. yeah we're not going no military action uh whereas you know north koreans and and kim jong-un seems to be somewhat warm to trump you know we're going to we're going to uh we're going to play footsie with him because he said something nice about it so that's the pessimistic way it's just basically the pessimism is just trump's id that's the pessim <laughs> the optimistic way to look at this though is what we've said on our show quite a lot, especially over the last two to three years, which is foreign policy cannot be dogmatic. Mm -hmm. The way he's handling things in the Middle East, and yes, Iran is not an Arab country, but it is you know, in that neck of the world, obviously. The, the way he's handled and in, in the, 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 the posture and the timbre of the way that he has handled uh, foreign policy in the Middle East is completely different, obviously, than the way he's trying to go out things with North Korea. And it could just be that he sees um, North Korea as a piece of uh, real estate that he wants to flip. And uh, he sees the Middle East as a piece of real estate that needs to stay in, you know, uh, basically in the hood uh, and doesn't want anything to do with it. The hood needs to stay in the hood. Um, so maybe that's the the optimistic way of looking at this, because when, you know, the, the speech that he gave in Riyadh that you praised a few years ago, Steve, um, that is more in line, it seems like, with what we're seeing his advisors say with Iran right now, which is like, uh, we're going to we're going to walk around with a big stick here. And if you step out of line, you're going to get whacked with it. Whereas with North Korea, you know, uh, maybe there's some possibility for uh, aggressive expansion or something like that with with that. So maybe it's the, the, the optimistic thing is he's just taking this on a case by case basis. All right. Exit question. Uh, Gaston, did you want to add anything to that? Go ahead. No, I was just thinking, I mean, to Chris's point about the difference between the countries, the, the populations. I mean, obviously, you talked about the uprisings um, in, in in Iran, but obviously, North Korea, I mean, it's it's a there's the brainwashing there. I mean, this and then realistically, there's probably a greater potential for a loss of life just with, you know, when they've yeah. talked about if you read about the war game and things like that. So I think the stakes are, are a lot higher in that situation, it seems like. That's a good point, too. But he was very tough in his rhetoric on North Korea when he took over. And it got hostages released. It got North Korea uh, to a summit. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like ever since we had that summit, we've taken the foot off the gas. Like if, if, we, if he had started out with this kind of rhetoric and, it, and we got progress, then you know, I wouldn't tell him, mix it up. Stick with what's working. Sure. But we started out, he started out rhetorically putting the boot to the neck and got some accommodations out of them. I don't know why when you get those sorts of concessions, then you go soft and then you find that they're like, you know, we're going to keep testing. We, you know, we kind of want money. Yeah. You know, especially that, after that's the, the thing. Launches. Yes. Yeah. Exit question. If, if your confidence level in the Trump administration's handling of these two regimes were a Beatles song, which Beatles song would it be? A, Helter Skelter. B, while my guitar gently weeps, C, help, D, happiness is a warm gun. Chris? I would go uh, D, happiness is a warm gun. Chris? I don't think, tr I don't think Trump has killed us yet. 
Okay. So, right. And uh, the United States government policy really hasn't changed that much for better or for worse. But uh, I don't think things are getting worse. What do you think, Gaston? Uh, I, I, my initial reaction was to, was to go with help. I mean, I, I, um, you know, it, the, you guys have a lot of good points on it and, um, you know, it's, it, it's, I'm just trying to think of the, with, with the geopolitical situation, which, with what you're seeing with just like internally in, in our, actually, let me step back. So with what's happening domestically, how things are, um, you know, you know, just unstable in our country from a societal standpoint, combine that with the geopolitical North Korea, the trade war, the Middle East, you know, what's what happening in, in Europe and, and stuff. I, it just seems to me in Venezuela, like the entire powder keg mm-hmm. is about to light on fire. Okay. We Hel- think Aaron. Helter Skelter. Hey, millions of Americans have kind of just resigned themselves. They're going to have to live with chronic pain for the rest of their lives. Maybe not. Uh, so many people here at uh, The Blaze, and I would now count myself among them, by the way, have not gotten my refill yet, and I'm getting desperate. Okay, I know this is not supposed to be a cry for help, but a commercial, but I'm going to include it. Uh, it's live after all. Uh, but uh, that's how much I believe in this product. I, I saw outstanding results the last couple of weeks using uh, Relief Factor uh, myself. And this is not about healing injuries. We're not peddling Benny Hinn prayer coins. All right, this is about confronting inflammation in the body, which is the source of chronic pain, not an injury, but chronic pain from inflammation that too many people are taking drugs, but the inflammation never really goes away. You're just treating it. You want to take on the inflammation and Relief Factor is a 100% drug-free, but uh, it's created by people who have the ability to prescribe drugs, physicians. They were looking for natural long-term solutions to inflammation, and that's why it's got four key natural ingredients that help your body win the fight. Get the three-week quick start pack for just a dollar a day 20 bucks to give it a shot for three weeks you have nothing to lose maybe except the pain just go to the website relieffactor.com that's relieffactor.com back with more of the day group here on the blaze in a moment stay tuned Well, we all know, sadly, nowadays, there's plenty of leftists in Washington, D.C. attempting to import socialism to America. But what many of us don't know is that uh, Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar is actually helping their cause by trying to let foreign countries dictate the prices of your medicine. Doing this is going to lead to shortages of vital medicines, may even set medical research back decades, making it harder for researchers to find cures uh, and experimental medications for horrible diseases like diabetes, Alzheimer's, maybe even cancer. I don't know what is America first about having governments meddling with our health care. If you agree... If you agree that the job of the Trump administration should be to fix patients and not prices, uh, lend your voice to FreedomWorks right now as they're trying to put the pressure on Secretary Azar to put Americans first. Here's what you need to do. FreedomWorks.org is the website slash Dace, my last name. FreedomWorks.org slash Dace. Go there now. Lend your voice to theirs to get the attention of the administration and say, hey, no, put American interests, American medicines, American patients first before we let foreign countries dictate how we do business around here. All right. Freedomworks.org slash Dace. That's freedomworks.org slash Dace. Let's get to issue three here on the Dace Group, your weekly look at the week that was. Have we come to the turning of the tide? Here's a sampling of some pro-life news over the last few months. 
Pro-aborts were forced to answer for backlash to Virginia Delegate Kathy Tran and Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's comments over infanticide. Donald Trump started using the term execution consistently when talking about abortion. Georgia overcame pro-abort bullying by the entertainment industry to pass and sign into law a heartbeat bill in that state. After a couple videos went viral of a Pennsylvania state representative bullying, praying pro-lifers outside of an abortion facility in Philadelphia, a spur-of-the-moment rally was planned and held that same week, drawing around 1,000 participants, which showed the strength of the organization and ground game aspect of the pro-life movement. Alabama passed and signed into law a bill banning all abortions in the state, except in the case of when the life of the mother is at stake. The Missouri Senate passed a bill banning abortions after eight weeks with no exceptions. And those are just some of the big stories that have happened over the last four months. Perhaps something is starting to change. Throw in some of the president's comments on this issue in national conversations, uh, heartbeat bills that have uh, gone around the country as well. I, I've been at this full time for more than a decade now, and this has been the issue I have probably spent more of my activism on over the course of that career than any other. I, I cannot remember a time when organically news cycles produced this much content where we didn't have to as a pro-life movement come up with reasons to bring the subject up to remind people of of the blight on our otherwise enlightened civilization here these things are happening organically and that tends to happen when you have momentum so are we having a moment here or do you sense there is a turning of the tide in the pro-life fight gaston let me start with you this time what do you think yeah, I think I think two things. I think it's there's a turning of the tide. I think part of it is with the technology. We've been, you know, the the pro life movement's been smart in how they focus and they frame things. But the other thing I'll say is is I, I think we learned a lot this week um, about some of the organizations. And when I worked on Capitol Hill, um, we used to call the pro life lobby, the professional pro life lobby, Big Baby. And I think you, you've seen a little bit of a break in it where the mm -hmm. grassroots, where the tr conservatives that are that live this, they, that's important to them, they've put, spilled blood sweat, blood, sweat, and tears on this issue, um, what, where they are on it and what it means to them. And that's what you're seeing happen in the state houses because it's a lot closer to the ground. And a lot of these national groups, they're saying we're overreaching. They're, 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 they're turning their noses up at some of these efforts. And that's the professional big baby lobby. Um, and uh, the one last note is I want to say is so my dad's a state house rep in Alabama. Um, he's been working on that on this uh, pro life bill for five years, and so I just want to say um, you know publicly that I'm just really proud of the work that he's put into it, and I've heard a lot about it from behind the scenes, and so um, you know I just uh, it's it's for me it's been very personal. Well, good. You should be proud of uh, the example that your father set there, and I I think it's very important for our audience to hear what Gaston just said. You mentioned your time on Capitol Hill. Gaston, explain to our audience what you did on Capitol Hill so they don't think you just spent five minutes roaming the halls as a page. What did you do there? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I worked for a committee called the Senate Steering Committee, and it's the it's a collection of conservative senators, and uh, anywhere from you know depending on the membership from 14 to 18, and uh, we it was a shared staffer that helped them work with outside conservative groups, media groups, and then also with um, on the Senate floor, and so we were kind of the liaison that helped. Um, you know, advance the different policies. And so if a senator said, hey, I want to put forth a resolution condemning Gosnell, condemning what happened in Pennsylvania there at that clinic, mm -hmm. um, we would help draw it up. We would get with the conservative movement groups and try to help push it forward. But in this situation, you know, I remember on that specific resolution, we had uh, these pro-life groups that were saying, oh, this language is too aggressive. You can't say this. And it's a non-binding resolution. And we were kind of beside ourselves. And, and these groups act like they are the I mean, the pro-life groups were to the, the left issue. of the senators. That's what you're saying. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. And and we had to remind them that they didn't have election certificates, that this was the senator's resolution. We were going to push something that was really a solid position. Um, and so so a lot of it was is the, the industry was in some cases it would say that, hey, we um, – you know, we they didn't want to advance the issue because it was less less things they could fundraise off of less. Yep. You know, um, they they lose power and 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 some of them got stuck in that and they forgot why they were part that why the group was there to begin with. I think it's really important if you're if you're a part of this audience, if you don't remember anything that is said before this moment or after on this program right now, I hope you take to heart what you just heard from Gaston Mooney, who saw it with his own eyes. Because sadly, everything I have said about what Gaston describes as a big baby or what I call the pro-life industry, there's a, there's a movement and then there's an industry. Everything I've said for years that has cost me professional and personal relationships, lots of heartburn for audiences, sadly, it has all been revealed to be true in this past week. As people are pointing out, I'm totally fine with murdering some kids provided I can still pretend to be pro-life and get my cable news contributor gig. As people are now deciding, now when we are for the first time, really, monolithically, uh, as a movement, uh, launching a full frontal assault on Roe v. Wade, the last time we did this was Casey, that was the year Aaron was born. And now a bunch of people want to write articles like, you know, I'm actually okay with rape exemptions. Now, we, now we're going to debate nuance. Now that we've, we, we've gone down to the Valley of Elah with five smooth stones, and now we're going to be like, you know, I kind of don't mind this Goliath guy, provided he just kind of keeps it, you know, you know just kind of keeps this uh, to maybe just one day a week and leaves us the, alone the rest of the week. Um, mm-hmm. this, is, this, is, this reminds me of a story that, um, that J.C. Watts told me about the former congressman from Oklahoma, about how Dick Armey from the state of Texas, the once famous Republican congressman from Texas, how he turned on social conservatives. And it happened after the Clinton impeachment uh, saga. And he went to the, some of these big uh, social conservative groups. And, he t- and, and JC wouldn't tell me who it was. She said, be names you would know. And Dick Armey went to them and said, hey, you guys hung with us during a tough impeachment fight. We probably would have lost the house altogether if it weren't for you guys turning your base out. It's time for us to repay you. We've got some wind at our backs and we want to do this before the 2000 election comes in. So you guys have been asking us for a certain piece of legislation. I'm going to move it on the floor. We're going to get this done. Okay. And these leaders of these major groups went to Dick Armey and said, hey, don't do that. You know, we can raise money off of that. You know, we don't want to move on this legislation. I mean, this is a good fundraiser for us. And just seeing the duplicity of this uh, was, was, was what really turned Dick Armey completely. And if you go back at the end of his political career and at the end of his public life, Dick Armey was brutal on social conservative and Christian conservative groups and leaders. And I was told by J.C. Watts, it all went back to this one particular circumstance, which you just heard Gaston Mooney say in his experience working up on the Hill, he saw it with his own eyes. When the conservative groups are to the left of the Republican senators. Is that bad? I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it is bad. And I, I think it, it gives a context to what we're seeing right now. When you're trying to answer the question of, is this a pro-life moment in the country or is this just an instance of uh, some people doing some things? Um, president Donald Trump is unquestionably the most pro-life president I think we, I've had in my recent memory. And just the, not even the way that he does policy, but in the way that he speaks about the issue. When he accuses Democrats of trying to execute babies after they're born alive, referring to Ralph Northam's comments, the governor of Virginia. Uh, people and human beings and human institutions operate under the principle of headship, right? 
most people are naturally followers. They're all looking for a leader. That's how Jesus Christ sets up his church. Jesus, God, is the head of the church. The disciples, the people follow the church. Human institutions operate under the same principle. So I think the reason you're seeing all these pro-life advancements happening right now is at the top of the government. You have a guy, President Trump, who's being very outspoken about the life issue. He's saying things like the Democrats want to execute babies and I'm going to be a pro-life president and I'm going to nominate pro-life judges. He did that, right? You know, we got Gorsuch in the Supreme Court. We at least nominally have Kavanaugh, who President Trump insisted was a pro-life judge. And so state governments are looking at that leadership from the top and they're saying, OK, this is our moment. Let's advance big pro-life legislation. And so the people who are following the president, right, the, mm -hmm. the people in the movement and the lawmakers who actually care about the issue or are subject to that leadership are the ones at making advancements in the pro-life cause. And it's the pro-life industry or the, what Gaston called big baby, the people who are really the same people who don't want to follow President Trump's lead, not just on this issue, but on the other issues. Something you might call them establishment Republicans, you might call them rhinos or whatever. Those are the people who are now pulling back saying, hey, maybe we're going too far on this issue. So there's that distinction, right? And I think that speaks to largely what are we going to see in 10 years? Are we going to have a pro-life victory? I don't think the Supreme Court right now, even with the majority that President Trump put there, has the votes to repeal Roe v. Wade or overturn the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, he maybe will get there if another justice retires and he's able to nominate Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, which he intends to do, by the way, if Ginsburg resigns or uh, unfortunately for her, if she dies or something like that. Um, but as it stands right now, we're not going to have that victory. And if you look at the pro-life laws coming out of Alabama and uh, Missouri and these other places, they're probably not even going to make it up to the Supreme Court. A district court judge is going to re repeal the policy, say it's unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade. And the Roberts Court is probably not going to take up that issue. That, that's just the state of being. So in the short term, for sure, no, I don't think that there's this big pro-life moment happening in the country. What I think is more apt to describe the situation happening right now is we have leadership from the Trump administration and leadership from the president advancing the pro-life cause, Republicans seizing, uh, or uh, not seizing, but following in that leadership and trying to advance pro-life legislation, and Democrats overreacting to what Trump is doing uh, with their extreme of laws, uh, late-term abortion right up to the day before you're born in New York and places like that in Virginia and in Vermont, and reacting to what President Trump is doing. So it all boils down to leadership right now, and we have a pro-life leader. And that's reflected in what's happening in the whole country. Okay. Let's get to the exit question. If the odds Roe versus Wade is still standing, is still standing Supreme Court precedent 10 years from now, were a Beatles song, which Beatles song would it be? A, Strawberry Fields Forever. B, Tomorrow Never Knows. Or C, The End. Aaron, I'll let you go first. Tomorrow Never Knows. Gaston? I, I my uh, my head says tomorrow never knows, but my heart says the end. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, tomorrow never knows. Uh, there's too much going on, too many circumstances we can't foresee. Let's get to issue four. Finally, some inspiration. This week, a video went viral showing a young boy in a martial arts class struggling to break a wooden board. The video shows him being coached by his instructor before tearing up, certain he couldn't do it, but his instructor wouldn't let him quit. Yes, you can do it. Come on. Yes, you can do it. You got to do this now. Look at me. You have to hit it hard, though. You cannot hit it light. You have to hit it hard. Go. That's not hard. You touch it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on
Hmm. Name, gentlemen, name someone in your life outside of your own family who inspired you to overcome an obstacle or a situation that you thought you could never rise above. Aaron. Oh, man, there are a few, but I would say the, the, the one that um, answers that question best would be Coach Nallon in high school because I was a scrawny little kid in uh, my freshman year who could not uh, hit the bigger guys, obviously, on the team worth a hoot. I went through a huge growth spurt, and he was still getting on me, you know, to really stick my nose in there because he knew because I could, you know, I did stick my nose in there. I, I did hit pretty hard, but, you know, I don't think I was living up to what he thought I could be. And there's one, and he, every time I see him, when I go back to my hometown, he reminds me of this. There's one practice where I was doing a uh, crack block. So it was basically a blind side, um, you know, you're mm-hmm. running a slant in. And one of the guys, the guy that I was supposed to block was one of the biggest, strongest guys on the team. And um, I did this crack block so hard. It, it, you know, it reverberated. <laughs> the, the sound reverberated around the practice field. I almost knocked myself out, but when I came to, he was he was kind of knocked out and he was sitting on his butt. So that's one thing because I'm not a, a very big kid, but I did knock that guy on his butt. Uh, I would say for me, Mr. Zimmerman, my English teacher, my freshman year, and then again my uh, my senior year. Um, he scared the heck out of me my freshman year, and he started his first day was I hate freshmen. Okay, you guys are weak, snotty, cocky, you don't know anything. By the time we got to my senior year, though, I had grown so much in his class, um, grown far more confident in my willingness to stand up for what I think and what I believe, because oral presentation was a big part in his class. He definitely played a role in uh, in me doing what I ended up doing for a living. Chris, quickly, you. Yeah, most of the people who inspire me are dead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's a good I, rule of thumb, actually. Have dead heroes. They, their bios can't change, yes. When I look at uh, mostly Christian martyrs, right, who uh, were torn apart by lions or hung upside down on crosses for uh, dis- publicly displaying their faith and for believing in Christianity, it's the only, really the only thing they do. I think that's the hardest thing in, in any Christian's life is uh, proclaiming our principles, talking about the gospel, and explaining our sin and why we have to repent for it, and just being hated by everybody and sometimes killed for it. And so uh, I, I look at those examples to help get through that. All right, Gaston, you go last. Yeah, um, for me, uh, you know, outside of my parents and family, but I'd say, you know, and I should have also mentioned the the, inf- I mean, the inspiration influence you've had on me too. I should have actually mentioned that, Gaston. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, so I apologize, Steve. I apologize for that. Um, no, but one thing I want to point out about that video, though, is how great was it that the parents didn't come up and they yes. tried to like yep. intervene. The kid yep. was crying. They let they let the 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 pressure build a little bit, and the kid, you know, yep. um, the, the the child, do, you know, complete the task and do it and push through. I mean, I thought that was a good testament to the parents who mm-hmm. were watching mm-hmm. that. And the um, way is, his teammates so. rally to him there, his classmates yeah. when he breaks the board at the end of the video there too. I mean, that's just. Yep. Or the way they chant his name. Yep. I mean, that's... that's Exactly. If you want to know the spirit that built a country like this, it's embodied in that video, frankly. Um, before we get to predictions, you know, we're coming to the end of the hour, and you can kind of see Gaston and Chris are kind of slowing down a little bit. You can see it, <laughs> you know? And uh, they could use a little burst of productivity from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. They've got an outstanding product from dawn to dusk where they agree every now and then the body needs a little energy boost, but they also think getting things from little bottles with 9,000 chemicals at gas stations, which are supposed to refuel your car and not the human body, probably are not the best ideas. They've put together this all-natural energy supplement instead. Uh, no calories, no sugar, no afternoon crash, uh, clean energy focused and improved mood for up to 10 hours. 
hours. If you want to give it a shot, go to BrickHouseSteve.com. That's the website, BrickHouseSteve.com. Promo code Steve to get 15% off of your first order of From Dawn to Dusk when you go to BrickHouseSteve.com. Let's close out, gentlemen, with predictions. Gaston, you're up first. So, uh, so Steve, real quick, prediction um, of, of the, this next cycle or just what's anything. coming next week? It can be or? anything. Well, I'm I'm going to predict that uh, the what we were talking about during the break of the Batman that there's going to be a massive meltdown, or maybe it's already happening. about, about Robert the, Pattinson the, the being cast. cast as the next yeah, Batman. Yeah, the yeah. casting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Aaron, what do you think, Aaron? Your prediction? Issues of our time. Uh, <laughs> my prediction is uh, well, yesterday just for, for some background, very very quickly. Uh, yesterday, I was seven for seven in uh, most favored uncle status. I predict as of today, thanks to uh, Margaret Grace McIntyre being born this morning. I will be eight for eight in most favored uncle status. Congratulations, by the way. All right, Chris, you're up. Get on it. Yeah. Um, so Donald Trump Jr. was interviewed by Mark Levin yesterday, and he was asked about running for office, and he really wouldn't give an answer to that question. So my prediction is uh, Trump Jr. is going to run for president either in 2024 or 2028. Hmm. Uh, my prediction with California moving its Democratic presidential primary to Super Tuesday, we're going to pretty much know who the nominee is on me- on March 4th of next year, or at the very least, we're going to know who's left standing to t- try and take out Bernie Sanders the rest of the way. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us here. Good to see you. All right. Take care. God bless. Thanks for having us on, Steve. All right. We'll come back. Hour two, Feedback Friday, next right here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Stay tuned. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. And if you are listening today via podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review at the podcast platform of your choice, we would appreciate you doing that. Thousands of you have done that for our program already. We're grateful to you. And the more of you that do that, the more it helps us to find more people uh, to listen to us just like you. 888-900-3393 is the number here uh, on the Blaze. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Before we get to Feedback Friday, I want to go back and reiterate um, what our president here at uh, Blaze TV, Gaston Mooney, who used to work uh, for several years on Capitol Hill. Uh, Worked for a couple of uh, senators individually on Capitol Hill as well but particularly his work as the liaison uh, to the Republican Senate Steering Committee and the conservative movement on issues, media, messaging, etc. And I, I hope you heard that. They would refer to these pro-life, these big-name pro-life groups, as, what did he say, quote, big baby? That's what they called them, big baby. That they weren't serious about this. They weren't serious about making it a stop and making it end. This further reinforces what, 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 what we've been trying to tell you on this show for a long time. And, the, the, and, and I'm, I'm resetting this because I, I don't need any validation. The, 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 the personal relationships I've lost over saying no to this moral duplicity are not getting mended. The professional opportunities I lost 
by not going along with it are not going to come back around. I, I, don't, I don't gain anything. I don't, I don't gain anything from, 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 from this. I don't even gain, I told you so, because this is about one of the worst things to ever be right about. Like, suppose you had a friend or a child uh, whose, whose significant other were cheating on them. And you, and you warned them and they didn't listen. And then they found out in the most devastating way in time possible. When they came back to you, that you wouldn't necessarily feel like vindication. Like, yeah, you should have listened to me. Well, I mean, not if you didn't have a soul. No, you'd, you'd, you'd probably feel terrible for them and wish that maybe you weren't right all along. And the fact that they didn't believe you, you're kind of holding out the, the faint hope of, you know, maybe I've been too harsh. Maybe, that, maybe I, my instincts are wrong. Except I wasn't telling you these things out of instinct. I've witnessed them. I've witnessed the sorts of things that Gaston told you he witnessed. I've heard from other witnesses that witnessed these things as well. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, then when confronted with the reality of evil in the world, you sometimes will struggle to reconcile these two impulses. And one of the things that we'll do to reconcile them is to blame God for the evil. No. Look, look, look for who to blame. The same place OJ should have looked the very first day for the real killers. In a mirror. Because we have as much evil as we are willing to tolerate. We have as much evil as we are willing to tolerate. Period, end of sentence. We have been willing to tolerate this at a certain level. And we have been willing to say, if I just vote for pro-life politicians, I did my work. And if I show up in January in a march... And if I, you know, don't actually have an abortion myself, then I, 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 I did what was asked of me. I don't, I don't have to follow up on any, what any of the people who gave those speeches at the march do the rest of the year. I don't have to follow up on what any of the politicians I voted for do once they're in office. I don't. I did my tour of duty and can now retreat to owning the libs. We are at a juncture in this fight we should have been at 30 years ago. We should have been here 30 years ago. Why weren't we? Because we were willing to tolerate this. That's why. I remember an experience I had when I was uh, helping to organize candidates to run for legislature here in Iowa. And one year, I think it was the 2010, yeah, it was 2010 election. We had a banner year. We got all kinds of conservatives elected to this, real conservatives. Not, I'm not a communist, so I'm a conservative conservative. We got several real conservatives elected to the legislature. And the Republicans had 60 members out of the 100-seat Iowa House a dominant showing. It's funny, I was terrible for the Republican Party, and yet when I took over the largest media 
um, opinion media in, um, platform in Iowa, WHO Radio, Republicans were in a distinct minority. When I left, they went from the minority to 60 out of 100 seats. I must have not been too toxic. See, what they meant by that was they wanted only certain kinds of candidates to win. And when other kinds of candidates won, they would have preferred the Democrat there, which is why in the very next cycle, we had a record amount of primaries across the state. They were primarying a lot of these conservative candidates from the left, the party was, that we had just gotten elected. And so with 60 out of 100 seats in the Iowa House, an overwhelming majority, I think it was like the one of the biggest majorities in the Iowa legislature Republicans had had in like 100 years or something. We couldn't get them to give us a vote on life at conception or personhood or whatever you want to call, you know, defining when life begins. They wouldn't give us a vote. And the reason they wouldn't give us a vote is because they had several members of their caucus who were not pro-life, but were fine lying that they were in order to get elected by people like us. And they had the approval of all the fake national right to life groups. That's who, that's who, if you want to know who Gaston's talking about, national right to life committee is who he's talking about. They're big baby. When I, when I was involved with personhood USA before that organization imploded over division, we tried to organize five states. I'm trying to Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Iowa. And there's a fifth one. I'm trying to remember what it was. Okay. And, and in every one of those states, when we tried to get Republican legislatures to define life at conception, two organizations opposed us in every single state, in every single one, the Catholic Archdiocese and National Right to Life. They opposed us in every single one of them. Now you're going to ask me why. There's lots of reasons potentially why. All of them are bad. They're all bad. And in every one of those states, the archdiocese and national right to life opposed us every single time. And so we couldn't get, I even, you know, the Republican speaker, good guy, Craig Paulson was his name, homes, Christian homeschooling dad. I tried to befriend him individually, tried to make, and, 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 and hey, even made the argument to him just pass the bill, put it, we want to put it in the courts. We're trying to provoke a fight against Roe. But see, he decided that it was more important, caucus cohesion. That was what we always used to hear. The caucus cohesion, meaning we've got to provide enough loincloths for the rhinos we have up here. The people that have been lying to you, we can't have that exposed by any means necessary. And I warned him, because he thought I could like control this group of legislators I got elected. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Um, I'm not interested in helping people I can control. <laughs> I'm interested. I'm interested in helping people I don't have to. It's the other, I'm not like you guys. I'm not going to help people get elected that I, can, I have to control. I want to get people elected I don't have to. I'm not interested in, I'm not the Charlie's Angels voice on the phone. You never see his face. Uh, here's the plan. Uh, and they thought like I made these people do everything. I'm like, you really don't know how conservatives, Christians, liberty-minded people, you really don't know how they operate. Do you understand that the minute I attempted to co-opt them on that level, the minute I attempted to be their godfather, their Svengali, I'm out. I'm, I'm out next. 
I have influence because I don't try to do those things. They're not constructs, they're people. But see, his candidates, they were constructs. They were used to being controlled. And he didn't want to have this vote because he had numerous people in his caucus who weren't pro-life. I warned him. I said, Craig, I just want you to know they're going to force a vote. There's an obscure parliamentary rule on the House, in the House, that called a discharge petition. They, most legislatures have them. They're, they have different codicils and, and, and serial numbers depending on the parliamentary rules of individual states. And I said, they're going to force a discharge position. And what, how that works is you bring a vote on the floor, and if a majority of members agree, they can, they can force a bill onto the floor that leadership doesn't want to let out of a committee. They can discharge it from the committee directly to the floor. It is rarely done. Because whenever a majority party loses control of what comes to the floor to a vote, they essentially lose control of their majority. I warned him, they're going to do this. Well, they won't have the votes to us. It won't matter if they don't have the votes. They know they don't have the votes. They're going to record the names of everybody who didn't vote to bring this bill to the floor. And we're going to crush them. That's what's going to happen. If you don't do this, it doesn't have to be done this way. I'm not interested in a civil war in the Republican Party. You're causing one. I'm interested in keeping the promises that you came on my show and made to my audience numerous times the last six months. That's what I'm interested in. Keep your promises. You know, I told my audience to go out and vote for you guys because you said we're going to do this. Time to, you know, pay the piper. He wouldn't do it. Sure enough, they filed their discharge petition and it was chaos on the House floor. I don't remember the last time somebody did this. And what I'll never forget is there was one woman who literally ran out of the, out of the, uh, the, the room. Not like the caucus room, guys. This was occurring on the House floor, the actual floor of the Iowa House. And there was one woman, I want to say her name was Renee Elmers, I think was her name. And you don't know who she is, but I don't mind shaming her. Because she deserves it. Even now, almost 10 years later. She ran out of the room so that she would not be present to have a vote recorded on when life begins. Except I buried the lead to the story. I didn't tell you why Renee Elmer's running away from this is so noteworthy. Because you don't know who she is. How do you know she's not some Democrat leftist feminist from a college campus district, right? You don't know. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Renee Elmers was a Republican from a very conservative district and the wife of a pastor. And she ran out she ran out of the, of the House floor. She ran out to avoid having to vote to defend these innocent little babies from thou shall not murder. There's an inconvenient truth here. There has never been any meaningful effort to defeat an injustice without some form of radicalization. 
moderation never defeats injustices. That doesn't mean there's not a time for it. And you should even be have a spirit of moderation in your radicalization. Don't become a vigilante. Don't become a fiend. Don't become like that which you're trying to defeat. But ultimately, if you are not on some to some extent radicalized, then you don't have the fire in the belly to do what must be done. At best, you're firing a squirt gun at hell, spit bombs at hell. You're not ready to storm any cultural beaches. And what we have seen this week, and I hope you never forget, ever, and you know me, for as long as they let this thing be hot, I'm going to be here to remind you. Whether you want to forget or not, I hope you never forget all of the people who outed themselves this week. That they're really not for ending this. They're in for using this. That for far too long, the reason why baby murder has existed in this, the most enlightened, educated, prosperous nation in the history of creation, the reason why child sacrifice has existed is because we have one group of people in direct service to demons. And we have been, and they have been largely opposed by another group of people in direct service to themselves. I just saw Candace Owens at Turning Point USA got banned from Facebook. I just saw this for basically pointing out uh, associating with leftist causes hasn't been good for the black community. Uh, Another example that more and more big tech, big business in general is not only not aligned with our causes, but openly opposes them. And we're kind of getting to the point now that really the only difference between a lot of these companies is what they do with your money when you spend it with them. And it's also almost impossible to live without a mobile phone in this day and age. That's why you want to check out Patriot Mobile. Uh, It's America's only conservative cell phone company. Uh, It's veteran-led as well. And you'll get the same reliable nationwide coverage you already have. But know that your hard-earned money is now going to support causes and values that you support, like PragerU, Alliance Defending Freedom, and more. And with plans starting as low as $25 a month, why wait? If you call them right now at 1-800-A-PATRIOT, use code BLAZE. 1-800-A-PATRIOT, use code BLAZE. Uh, They'll waive your activation fee if you make the switch. Or you can get the same exact activation fee waived if you go to the website, patriotmobile.com slash blaze. That's patriotmobile.com slash blaze. Let's get to Feedback Friday. And I want to start with a comment that was posted on my Facebook wall this morning. Uh, Jesse Falsone wrote this. And he said, the fury I'm seeing by quote-unquote friends on social media over the Alabama law is unprecedented, even in these times. There is no question in my mind, there is no more debate on this issue. The battle lines are drawn, and the best we can hope for is a stalemate sustained by federalism. But it seems clear that these state laws will be challenged, and maybe that's okay if in due course, Roe is also legitimately challenged. Jesse, 
there was never a debate on this. And there was never going to be. I, without having been there myself, um, I still think I can speak with uh, complete confidence that if there's one thing they don't hold in hell, uh, it's debates. They don't hold debates there. There's no come now. Let us reason together in hell. It is void of reason itself. What it pursues is unreasonable. Its objections are in, in the quest of defeating reason and replacing reason with chaos. There was never going to be an accommodation and there never has been. See, what's happened, and this is always what happens with doctrines of demons. What happened is the darkness lied to you and told you for a long time it was willing to share space with the light. That's always a lie. It's a lie whether it's Munich 1938. It's a lie whether it's your local Planned Parenthood clinic. It's a lie whether it is... Uh, the slave master's whip. It's a lie whether it's just say Caesar is Lord this one time and we'll move on with ourselves and let you carry out with your Christian business. It, it's a lie when it's um, uh, how does my gay marriage impact your marriage? These are all lies. And they literally come from the hand and, and mouth of the father of lies. They're all lies. The darkness never, ever intended to share space with the light. It just used this in order to desensitize the light, in order to give it the best shot of having the advantage. And then once the, once the darkness senses it has the advantage, it will seek to snuff out the light. See, one of the things that's occurred here is one of the reasons, you know, I thought Chris Pandolfo really nailed that some of the rhetoric that uh, the White House is using on this issue is emboldening pro-lifers. I agree with that to some extent. Something else, though, emboldened pro-lifers as well. See, what's happened the last couple of years is that uh, the pagans believe uh, that Trump is so unpopular that they don't have to lie anymore. They can just be openly socialist. Everybody gets their kibbles and bits chopped off in the name of science. Your daughter loses her shot put in the track meet to a dude. We just do this all out in the open now. They, they, they have determined that um, they can just lie about Brett Kavanaugh, who was already a mediocre at best judicial nominee, but they can just besmirch him uh, as a gang rapist with marauding band of gang rapists. They, 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 they believe that because of Trump's, what they view as Trump's unpopularity, that they are, they have, they are two live crew, crew in this son of a gun. They're as nasty as they want to be right now. No more bleeps.
No more of that angel software that takes all the subjective material, profanity and other things out of mainstream content. We're just going to do this out in the open, man. You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. That's what's going on right now. We're not going to... Trump. Trump's so mean, so we don't even have to pretend to be objective anymore. That's what they think. They think they, they believe now, the darkness believes it had the advantage. And so it went for the kill. And I use that language on purpose. So Virginia Governor believe, Ralph Northam believes he can just sit there and say... Well, here's how that would work. I mean, we would, uh, the baby would be born, you know, we'd wrap it up, make sure it's comfortable. And then we talk to the mom about whether to execute it or not. And just do it with all reason as a quote unquote doctor on a live radio program. That's what they think. They think that they can just remove any code language now and just keep it real. See, that's provoked the principled pro-life movement as well. And I think it's provoked a lot of people who for the sake of unity, that was always the big criticism of me. I didn't want unity. I want victory. That's what I want. You might want relationships. I want a culture to pass on to my children and grandchildren. That's what I want. I don't want to be the generation Reagan warned us about that someday we'll have to look in the eyes of their children and grandchildren and say what America was like back in the day when men were free. I don't, I don't care about unity over a corpse. I don't care about unity over the grift. I don't care about unity over your cable news contributorships. I care about victory. There was never going to be an accommodation. And there never has been. And I think more of us are waking up to this now that you are seeing, you're seeing the death cult seethe. You're seeing they have no arguments. It's like you can breathe, Theoden can breathe the free air again. You're realizing he's just a worm tongue. He doesn't have any arguments. There's no real power here. This is all the house of cards. Yep. Yep. And I think also what happened is you principled pro-lifers, many of you, I think, naively thought that the, the, uh, the celebrity faux servatives that uh, you've lined the pockets of all these years would just show up and fight with you. Nope. <laughs> no. And I'm glad you're seeing it. Again, not because I need any vindication, because I would like victory. We are littered. I saw Jesse Kelly point this out on Twitter earlier this week. The, 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 what, what, kind of, what kind of movement, he asked, doesn't know how to take a clean win when you're not a movement, my friend, when you're not a movement. I mean, when the, when the left finally decides that we all, we all have to get forcibly get our kibbles and bits removed and mangled in the name of science, you know what we're going to do, man? Uh, uh, big baby groups, big Christian groups are going to come out and say, hey, yeah, that's fine. We just want a religious conscience clause exemption. That's what we'll fight up. That's what we'll do. This is not a new thing. 
I think many of us are just acknowledging something we didn't want to have to confront for a long, long time. And I know that it's painful, guys. I know. I've got the altered at times and stymied previous career track and all of the people who don't return my calls anymore and talk about me behind my back. I get it. I know. I know. Um, but we're littered with E.G. Uh, Robinson's character from the Ten Commandments. We're littered with those types throughout our so-called movement. And every time we go to fight the left head-on, they always jump in front to clutch their pearls. So here's my big idea today. Run them over. Don't go around. Don't stop to reason. They got in the way of the ox treading its grain. What typically happens when a human being gets in the way of an ox doing its business? Does the ox alter course? Does the ox think, yeah, let's stop and talk about this? Nope. What happens? Nature. Don't alter your course. Don't go around them. Don't engage them. Run them over. Stay on target. Go right through them. We were always going to have to do this anyway, and we put it off for far too long. Now's the time. If you are in the market for a new home this spring or summer, check out a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates called Real Estate Agents I Trust. Uh, They started this a few years ago because they were frustrated by real estate agents who talked a good game, but then didn't deliver the results that were promised when they were needed the most. And uh, really, Real Estate Agents I Trust looks for agents to recommend that that check three boxes. One, uh, of course, number one, a long track record or some sustainable track record of successfully navigating a complicated real estate uh, market process. Two, people that understand data matters, algorithms work, but you got to also sometimes look beyond the algorithm and not spare the details. There might be a, a reason one home in your neighborhood, for example, is way under or way over market value in its sale price that may or may not impact yours. And that's why uh, just the straight up algorithm, you got to look beyond that at times. And then third, somebody who's respectful that you can get along with, returns your calls, is there for you when you need something. Uh, this is a stressful pursuit. And so it helps to go through it with somebody you have a good rapport with, all right? If you want an agent that checks all three of those boxes, then you want to check out the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Back with more Feedback Friday in a moment, right here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. You know, we uh, showed that video earlier during the uh, uh, the Days Group Roundtable, that, the vi- video that went viral of this uh, young boy in a uh, martial arts class, and he can't break the board with his foot. And his male teacher refuses to make it easier for him. I mean, he's not a jerk face about it. He's like, no, you have to do this. You can do this. This is what's expected of you. And we wouldn't expect it of you if you couldn't do this. We believe in you. And his classmates are cheering him on. And as uh, Gaston Mooney, one of our uh, roundtable contributors said last hour, uh, props to the parents who didn't step in when the kids started crying, I can't do it, said, no, no, you can do it. And, you know, we pointed out when we saw that video that 
in many respects, that video is symbolic of the spirit that built American exceptionalism, that built a country worthy of having values and principles worthy of conserving. And we have lost a lot of that spirit in the country because we've lost a lot of our history. And that's on purpose. You have, you have witnessed an actual cultural hijacking taking place over the last generation. And I know I mentioned this already, um, but I just, I want to mention it one more time because this, this tour that, um, that Glenn Beck and his associates put together that they're going to do next spring. If you didn't get the website again, let me throw it out there one more time. Comesailaway.com is the website. And Glenn is leading a tour of uh, VIPs here from uh, the Blaze. And, I mean, you're going to walk and see, and have some fun too, but you're going to walk and see the birthplace of Western civilization. And you're going to go to the places that inspired what became eventually known, our little twist on Western civilization here, as American exceptionalism. All right, so if you're looking for something to do with your family, that'll be fun, relaxing, turn you into a world traveler, but learn some things that are important as well. If you want to go on this trip with uh, Glenn and a few of his friends, uh, comesailaway.com is the website. Comesailaway.com, that's the site. All right, let's get uh, formally now to Feedback Friday, brought to you by our friends at Riduzone, who know it would be really odd if you had a a stoplight at your kitchen table. That's why uh, the creator put one in you. It's called OEA. The problem is that signal is a little weak for some of us and it gets weaker for many more of us the older we get. Uh, and it's a signal that goes from the gut to the brain that says we're full here, you can stop eating. If you've been fighting the battle of the bulge but struggling to kick that metabolism into gear and get it working the way it used to when you were younger, it could be that you're missing uh, the necessary amount of OEA. That's where Riduzone comes in. It's overwhelmingly main ingredient of the only three that are in it. Uh, is OEA, and it's not a stimulant. There's no caffeine. This is just a means of putting the OEA back in your system to help get your metabolism working the way that it used to. If you want to try it, you can go to the website, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code for a special offer when you check out at riduzone.com. That's riduzone.com. All right, let's go to more Feedback Friday. This is from Leanne Bello. She says, I've really enjoyed you guys' show this week and its clarity on the life issue and the death cult. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the inevitable, battle, inevitable battles that will ensue between the states passing these restrictions on abortion and the courts. Call me radical, but I believe these states should defy the court's opinions if and when the courts strike down these laws. What are your thoughts on defiantly standing against unconstitutional overreach of the judicial branch on moral issues? Leanne, you are radical, but you're... you're you're inhabiting the form of radicalism that is emulating the founding fathers. I mean, that, that yeah, I'm, I'm just telling you, if you, if I ever ran for governor and got elected, I wouldn't uphold. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do baby murder. Couldn't make me do it. I tell you, I tell you up front, I'm not doing it. Don't you have this thing called the national guard too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we I mean, I might, yeah. Yeah, maybe call him in. I don't know. But I wouldn't do it. Um the the get the 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 emancipation proclamation was Abraham Lincoln's attempt to use 
See, what you're talking about is a lost constitutional doctrine called the doctrine of interposition, Leanne. That's what you're talking about. And it's a, and our founders gave us multiple branches of government as checks and balances on the others. And on purpose, they made the courts the weakest of the three branches so that, it, so that an unelected branch would not act with what they called in the Federalist, uh, the Federalist Papers, what they, what, they are, uh, what they called force and will. They didn't want them to ask with force and will. Why, why would you fight a revolution against a monarch you didn't elect in order to create oligarchs you didn't elect who would then act on policy without your direct representation? Why would you do that? Answer, uh, insanity, or B, you didn't. Which answer do you think it is? <laughs> okay, they didn't. They didn't do that. And so what you're talking about is the doctrine of interposition. The, the, get, the, the Emancipation Proclamation was Lincoln's attempt to, in, to, uh, to, to interpose upon the Dred Scott ruling. To use the executive branch as a check and balance against the Dred Scott ruling. This was not, in many, you know, what's funny is the left uses this all the time. You have the lesbian attorney general in my former home state of Michigan is practicing interposition on her own legislators, uh, legislature's law to protect religious freedom. She's just saying, I'm not going to enforce that. I'm going to interpose on it. We're not going to enforce it. I'm going to force my will, what I want the law to be. Now, that's, that's, that's a bastardized form of interposition. Some of you are going to say, well, Steve, that sounds like lawlessness. No, what you have now is lawlessness. You have lawlessness now where you don't know where rights come from, you don't know where laws come from, and literally the law changes depending on what universal injunction by some federal judge you've never heard of before is imposed today. That's lawlessness. Lawfulness is we have rights that come from God. The role of government is simply to protect and defend those God-given rights. And the Constitution exists to limit government's role from imposing upon the freedom of the people beyond those two requirements. That's lawfulness. So I would agree that the next step in the process, they're going to go to court and they're going to lose. And, I'm, and, and that's okay. Because I think Dred Scott lost too. But it helped create a critical mass. What has to come next now is a willingness to say, we're not going to do that. I don't believe in states' rights. I don't believe in civil rights. So I think I just offended pretty much everybody. I believe in God-given rights. Governments don't have rights. Classes of people based on sexual behavior, race, creed, religious preference, they don't have rights based on those things either. You have rights from God. And since he makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust alike, he gives people certain inalienable rights. No matter which of those camps they fall in, even when they're in rebellion to him. For God so loved the world that he gives you not only his only son when you are in rebellion to him, but he even gives you the common grace of basic freedoms and liberties as you are shaking your fist at him and in rebellion to him. Those are the rights I believe in. I don't believe you have any other rights other than those. 
So I don't think it was a violation of states' rights at all when, when Eisenhower called in the National Guard on Arkansas. I don't. In fact, he was actually upholding the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. No person shall be, not, shall be denied uh, unequal or, or shall be given unequal protection under the law. And in that state, Governor Faubus wanted to treat people as if they were not equal under the law and denying them opportunities that they had no, done nothing morally to disqualify themselves of being denied of other than they just were born looking differently. Governor Faubus was in the midst of doing evil. I would argue President Eisenhower was the one acting righteously. So these are arguments we used to have all the time. And it's, it's one of the reasons, because people will throw Brown versus Board of Education back at me. You guys, um, Brown versus Board of Education was the Supreme Court precedent that undid what's called Plessy versus Ferguson. And Plessy versus Ferguson is where we got the notions of separate but equal from, which was the justification for segregation. Do you know what year Plessy versus Ferguson came down from the U.S. Supreme Court as precedent? 1898. Do you know what year Brown versus Board of Education undid that precedent at the Supreme Court? 1954. It took 56 years. 56 years to undo one of the most heinous and wicked Supreme Court precedents of all time. And in fact, a decade after Brown versus Board of Education, Martin Luther King Jr. is in a Birmingham jail writing a letter to white liberal pastors telling him, you're too radical. Let the courts decide on segregation. He's like, hey man, Brown versus Board of Education was 10 years ago. You guys told me 10 years ago we won this argument. If that's the case, why am I sitting in this jail cell refighting an argument I supposedly won 10 years ago? Look at the amount of progress Martin Luther King made with a moderate form of radicalization and taking his case directly to the people and an unwillingness to comply with unjust laws. Look at the progress he made in about a decade of that activity full-time and the social change that emerged from that. And it took 56 years to undo the precedent of Plessy versus Ferguson. 56 years. Which system do you would, would you rather live under? Which system do you... Why did your founders give you a freedom of association, assembly, speech, press? So did you sit around for 56 years waiting for an unelected judge to on a whim decide, you know, racism bad. Does, does that sound like Americanism to you? Good. It's not. It's not. And it's time for some states to just simply say, you know what? We're just not doing that anymore. 
I'm not killing people and you can't make me. And I dare you to try. Call the bluff. This has been a bluff all along. It's been a bluff all along. All the devil does is bluff. The problem is we're too often fear-based creatures. And we forget the perfect love casts out all fear. This is all a bluff. This is all a bluff. Let me repeat this. This is all a bluff. And you can tell it's a bluff. You can tell. Bullies always bluff. Always bluff. They'll intimidate you. They'll try to use, get you to, you know, uh, drown in fear. Scare tactics. And then one day, you do that. And you're like, huh. He bleeds just like any other man. He falls just like any other man. Why didn't I do that a year ago? Six months ago? Ten minutes ago? Why? This is all a bluff. Freedom is not fostered, defended, and passed on by the people who say, well, we're just following orders. Well, it's court precedent. Well, it's the law. Freedom is fostered, defended, and passed on by the ones who don't. By the ones who throw the tea in the harbor. By the ones who say, don't fire till you see the white of their eyes. But once you do, fire. By the ones who say, no. It is time, folks. They're going to tell us no. In response to us, the, the, the devil's not going to say, you know, it's just, it's just, Darn toot, man. It's just adorable to watch these homo sapiens down there. They're up there. Trying to get their righteousness on. Just, It's just cute. I want to pat them on the head, pinch their cheeks and say, God bless them. Everyone. Nope. No. They're going to come back with a snottier no. A more vile no. A more shame-filled No. Is what Aaron said earlier with the Bill Nye video. Let me just get angrier, more emotional, and drop even more F-bombs and be even snottier. That's how they're going to come back. They're going to tell you no. Are you prepared to respond no back? No. No, we're not going to do that here. We're not killing kids here. Thank you, though. Appreciate your opinion. I mean, we have freedom of speech. You're welcome to I guess, let the eyes of heaven see you put in a white paper. You like to kill people. I mean, okay, that's why there's a hell. But we won't have it in my state. We won't have that hell in my state. Thanks. We won't do that. Appreciate it. See you on the flip side. Actually, I won't. 
because you'll be in hell. Because I said no, and you said yes. So, nope. Nope, not doing that. But thank you. When we're prepared to say no and stick to it, we'll win. And not a second before that. In any leverage negotiation, the side who cares the least about losing always wins. Always. So until we say no and we stick to it, the answer is going to be yes. And then we then when we say, well, we, we don't want to say yes, they're going to say no to us. When are we prepared to finally say no? We're not doing that anymore. One more time, we need to say no to one area of the Trump administration. This is where our friends at FreedomWorks are coming in. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar is helping socialists invade our healthcare policy by letting foreign governments dictate uh, American uh, healthcare policy and prices. There's nothing America first about that. If you want to send a message to the administration to fix patients and not prices, lend your voice as FreedomWorks is attempting to stand for your freedom in this area, but they need all the backup, all the help they can get. All right. Stand up here and say to Secretary Azar, no. Go to freedomworks.org freedomworks.org slash dace. You're not betraying the administration you voted for by doing this. They're betraying you. And that's why you stand up and say no to remind them that it's we the people here, not we uh, here to serve you. It's you here to serve us. Government by the consent of the governed. We don't consent to this, okay? Freedomworks.org slash dace to say, uh, put American interest and American patients first. Freedomworks.org slash dace. All right, we're out of time here, though. We're going to stick around. Aaron and I will kind of recap the best and worst of the week with the post-show show overtime exclusively for our subscribers. So to the rest of you, have a great weekend. Back at it again on Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.